0: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co hosts, Doug LaMaurice and Shahan Jeharaja. We're back, Doug and Shahan. Thanks to all of those people who listen to the Apple Podcast Show on Tuesdays. That's for subscribers. It's $2.99 a month. You get four episodes there. And thanks, everybody, tuning into this one. This is the big freebie available on every podcast platform. And Georgia has earned our attention, Shahan. So this podcast is going to deal a lot with what is clearly the number one team in the country. And the issue at hand is... Are they better than last year? Which I honestly, Shahan, did not think was possible. But I think we definitely need to have that discussion three weeks in. Is that a correct statement
1: that we at least need to talk about it? I mean, look, through three games, this is one of the most dominant three-game stretches that you'll ever see. And, you know, obviously, they have a game against Samford thrown in there. But they played two power five teams to this point and beat them forty nine to three and forty eight to seven in games that weren't really that close. So I, I feel like we at least have to have the
0: conversation. They, that is the reminder. Like Michigan's look great, but Michigan's played nobody. They really. It's quite possible that Oregon is quite competent and they really threw us threw us off on that. And I need to. We did the whole show on Tuesday about things we've been wrong about. And if you are tuning in because last week, Shahan and I. Had a whole discussion on this podcast about whether BYU could beat Alabama. If you're tuning in for a Mia culpa on that, we did it on the Apple show. I mean, what are you going to do? BYU, can they beat Bama? They couldn't even hang with Oregon. But part of that, Shahan, and we talked about that on the Apple show, is we might have been thrown off on Oregon because Georgia so thoroughly dominated them. But Georgia might almost literally do that to anybody in the country. It is a little bit to me like what is happening with the Buffalo Bills in the NFL right now. Like, of course, there are very good teams in the NFL, but the Bills are destroying people. And of course, there are very good teams in college football. But Georgia is destroying people. It doesn't mean any given Saturday, blah, blah, blah. But they are a cut above. And you pick them to go back to the playoff this year. I picked them to not make the playoff because I was expecting a little bit of a come down with losing all the defensive talent. Maybe the offense can't carry you and just you lose a game you don't see coming. My mea culpa is in the offseason, I was like, I don't know, Spencer Rattler. (laughs) Spencer Rattler. And I think it was like right at the start of the game on on Saturday. um, I think Gary Danielson said something like, we talked to Spencer Rattler yesterday and he said he he wants to attack this Georgia defense. Good luck. And then they kicked off and it was like, oh, my, what have you done? I, you can't No one. and That's not even trash talk. That's just being confident. But like, don't just no one talk about Georgia. Can we give that advice? Don't talk about Georgia because you don't want to risk anything. We had like a whole swarm of bees thing last year, whatever that defense is. They're a swarm of some other animal. It's the same deal. I thought there's a lot of times there is a little bit of a step back with the champion, Shahan. And I anticipated that. And and again, on the list of things I'm wrong about, I feel like an idiot for anticipating that.
1: Well, I think the the thing that's been interesting about them, you know, defensively, I think that people thought that even with all those losses, they have so much depth. They rotated so much last year. It's not like these guys haven't played football before. And then when you talk about the recruiting on the defensive side of the ball, it's off the charts, just off the charts offensively is where I'm more impressed with them so far. Uh, I think that they might be a little bit more dynamic this year. I I think that, you know, certainly all the jokes that we've made, but like Stetson Bennett has been pretty incredible through the first couple of games of the year. Uh, He's rushed for a touchdown in every single game. Uh, He's completing 74% of his passes, and they're doing such a good job. Actually, I heard somebody make this comparison. It feels like last year, Stetson Bennett was running the JT Daniels offense like pretty well. But like this year is the Stetson Bennett offense. Like their their offensive staff just put together a game plan, put together an offense that takes advantage of the things that Stetson Bennett does well, which is mostly throwing the ball within 10 yards accurately. But like he can throw it very accurately. He can do it on the move. He can, you know, and I think that they are doing such a good job of finding ways to get him into good situations and they are pretty dang scary offensively. We will have a Stetson Bennett Heisman discussion on this podcast. (laughs) All right. I don't know if I'm going that far.
0: I'm not joking. I'm not joking. I can't. I can't believe it. I can't. It is perhaps I've covered college football for 18 seasons. This whole Stetson Bennett thing is perhaps the most stunning thing that I've seen. (laughs) But. We're going to put a pin in that briefly because we do want to start with what we usually start with on this podcast, which is we dive in on our playoff discussion. A week ago, we kicked another team out. We kicked out Texas A&M the week before we had kicked out North Carolina State. In week one, when we kicked out North Carolina State, we added Oklahoma. Last week, we did not add anybody. And it's kind of good because some of the teams we were talking about adding. We didn't really vote on them, but Miami was lingering. We're like, oh, if Miami beats Texas A&M. Didn't happen. So we're at 10 right now and we need to kick somebody out first. And I only gave our Twitter followers. And if you want to be part of this, because you're like the third co-host, it's me, it's Shahan. And then it's all the Twitter followers. You get a vote when we vote teams in and vote teams out, which we do every week during the season. There are three votes. And one of those votes is the consensus of our Twitter followers at CFB survivor show so shahan this week of the 10 teams that we had in our playoff mix i only gave the twitter followers two of who should be kicked out and it's kind of an interesting question because the two candidates are byu the only team in our top 10 that lost last week byu lost to oregon and then the other team is baylor who the week before had lost to byu but they didn't get kicked out because Texas A&M's loss to App State was so bad, Texas A&M got kicked out instead, and we only kick out one team. Who do you think, did you see the vote? Do you look at the vote? Did you see the vote? I did not look at the vote. Who do you think, who do you think the Twitter followers voted to kick
1: out, BYU or Baylor? Well, I I think that (laughs) for better or for worse, our followers tend to be Power 5 supremacists. I think that they tend to give benefit of the doubt to power five teams. And so I think that they probably voted out BYU, who also, by the way, again, is is the team that lost big this weekend.
0: Yeah, that is correct. It was 76%, 76 76.2 to 23.8. They vote to kick out BYU. I was always a very strict resume voter when I was an AP voter. And the idea of like, all right, well, they're both two and one, but BYU beat Baylor head to head. I'm going to lean on the head to head matchup, even though it went to overtime and it was at BYU. But what do you want me to do? And also, it's not like Baylor and its other games has blown people off the field. I would definitely have BYU ranked ahead of Baylor this week. But on this show, we're talking about making the playoff. And I do think BYU's path is probably closed. So I would also vote of those two to kick out BYU because Baylor's path is open, which is win out, win the Big 12. If you're a one loss Big 12 champ and you've beaten Oklahoma and Texas and Oklahoma State and everybody else, you're probably in pretty darn good shape for the playoff. If Baylor wins out with games against Notre Dame and Arkansas, it goes 11 and one, not in a conference this year before they join the Big 12 next year. I still don't think they're in. So I think path an opportunity means to me BYU is out and Baylor remains in how do you see
1: it yeah it's as simple as that right like like you said this is not a ranking of teams there are teams that right now i mean you know we we ha- we might have a discussion about oklahoma state at some point but like oklahoma state would be a top 10 team for me right now ahead of teams like byu and baylor they're not in our rankings that's not the point uh, of this discussion and so i think that you know, BYU needed to thread a needle. They needed to do what uh, Cincinnati did last year, where they beat their big matchups and they take care of business elsewhere. Uh, you know, I mentioned this briefly on, the, on the, the Apple show. You, if you are BYU, the last thing you could afford to do was get blown out. If you lose a game close against Oregon, this schedule is pretty good. So, like, if you lose close against Oregon, you give yourself a chance. That game was not as close as three touchdowns. The score was 38-7 to in the third quarter, and it it just kind of pulled away from there, right? So, for example, I, I think that you make the comparison. Baylor went on the road and lost in double overtime against BYU, whereas BYU went and lost big to Oregon. So, like, when you're weighing those negative data points, one's going to hit a lot worse and Also, BYU doesn't have the ability to play their way out of it the way that Baylor does. So BYU's out. Man, we rode that Cougar
0: pony. Ooh, baby. The wild horses of BYU. We tamed them. We tamed them for a couple of months this offseason. I wanted to have Kalani Sataki on the move. We can probably get Kalani Satake now because I don't know who else wants to talk about BYU. If we're done talking about BYU, everybody's done talking about BYU. I really like them. I think they still could finish 11-1. and I really want their receivers to come back healthy. I'm going to keep watching Jaron Hall at quarterback. They are a legit team. But when you're in that spot... Especially as an independent, even Cincinnati as a group of five, they still had, could get another good win in a conference championship game, you know, or and and avenge something if something had gotten screwy in the not, in the conference play. BYU just doesn't have that. They'll be in the Big Twelve next year, and they're going to be like a factor. Just like Cincinnati is going to be in the Big Twelve and be a factor, so BYU is not going anywhere. They were really good with Zach Wilson a couple of years ago. BYU football is really good and should be respected, but we're just not—we're just not going to respect them here. No, we are going to respect them here in their absence. We're going to every now and then. I'm going to say, "Remember those guys? Hey, Shahan, remember those guys? We had fun with those guys. Weren't they cool? But we're not going to talk about them because there's like no way. There's no way they're making the playoff. So. Goodbye, BYU. Sad. All right, when we come back, we have three teams in the mix to be voted in because at the moment, we only have nine playoff contenders in our mix because BYU's is out. And we only had 10 last week. I think we need to get that number back up. We'll try to do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. A week ago, we were the only college football podcast in the country asking the question, could BYU beat Alabama? My question to you is, what have we done to ourselves, our reputations, and this show? Because BYU couldn't hang with Oregon for even a half.
1: Yeah. uh, Are you familiar with the concept of regression to the mean? Because I'm pretty sure that that's what week three was just in general for me. Everything that I said, everything that I predicted, everything that I guessed was just as wrong as it could possibly be. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes.
0: All right, Shahan, I held off on Oklahoma State. We're going to get to them, but I did not make them one of the contenders yet this week. There were three teams that I put out there individually because I'm open to more than one being added because we'll go as high as 12 in our mix, and we're only at nine right now. I gave the, the, the Twitter folks Washington after its win over Michigan State, Oregon, which is two and one, but lost to the best team in the country and then just beat BYU, and Penn State which had a pretty convincing win at Auburn. Now, listen, Auburn might be the 11th best team in the SEC, but that's still not... Big Ten teams don't go down to the SEC and played road games a ton. And Penn State, like in the second half of that game, was pretty dominant and pulled away. So those are the three teams that gave everybody. Let's start with Washington because I think that's who you are interested in. Kalen DeBoer, the head coach. Michael Penix, the quarterback. Do you think... This is a real football team.
1: I definitely do. You know, we, we get so caught up, in, and I had this discussion about USC over the offseason. We get so caught up in the idea that a team is only what its results are. And look at what Washington was under Jimmy Lake last season. It wasn't a talent issue. It wasn't a it, anything like that. It was a bad, bad, bad offensive scheme mixed with some pretty good stuff on the defensive side of the ball. Well, now you bring in a coach, Kalen DeBoer, who is an incredible offensive coach, who's also, by the way, won everywhere and created great cultures everywhere that he's been. And like... I don't know why we're surprised. I don't know why we're surprised that uh, that Washington looked a lot better offensively once they went from a bad offensive staff to a good offensive staff. And, you know, they they have managed to keep some of their defensive culture alive. That's going to be something long-term I'm going to be keeping an eye on, right? You can't kind of just assume that the Jimmy Lake defensive culture is going to necessarily stay as well. But, no, I mean, I definitely thought that this had a chance to be a serious team. I thought that this was going to be one of the more underrated bounce-back teams in college football. All of that said, I don't know if that makes them playoff caliber to me as Mm. opposed to just really nice team, like borderline top 10, top 12 team. But, you know, you start talking about their path. I I mean, the Pac-12, kind of like, you know, we've talked about the Big 12, has a lot of pretty good contenders. You know, USC is already on our board. Utah is already on our board. Uh, You know, you have a pretty tough slate in front of you. They play Oregon on the road on November 12th. So I, I don't know if I can get all the way there to them being a playoff contender, but here's what I'll say. They crushed Michigan State. Again, 39-28, not representative of the final score. I was always kind of skeptical of Michigan State right from the beginning. I think that if they win their next couple of games convincingly, they've got Stanford, then they go to UCLA. If, if they win both of those games pretty convincingly, then I think we can have a conversation because then I think that Washington's probably a top 10 team. But I don't think I'm ready right now to put Washington in a playoff mix.
0: Interesting. I thought you would go full bore for this because when we talk about. Full bore for this. Hey, <laughs> uh, print the shirts, man. Print the shirts. <laughs> they're, they're 3-0. Stanford, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona Cal. They could be 8-0. They should be. They should be, honestly. And then Oregon State, Oregon, is the Pac-12. So listen, USC, Utah lost to Florida, but we think Utah is still a good team. Oregon lost to Georgia, but we still think Oregon's a good team. Add in Washington, add in Oregon State, who's interesting and a little feisty, and add in Washington State, who might be a little feisty. Is the Pac-12 maybe kind of good this season? And, And here's the thing, then. If the if the answer to that is even a maybe, and then but I think it might be the exact right kind of conference for Washington, which is good enough that a one lost Pac twelve champ will have a very persuasive playoff argument, but not so good that it can't be Washington. Because they don't have, Washington doesn't have Utah or USC on the regular season schedule. They would potentially get one of those teams in the conference championship game. They do have the Oregon game. They do have Oregon State. It's like split with Oregon and Oregon State, hope some other people lose somewhere, get to the conference championship game, and take your shot against Utah or USC. That feels like a potential path. But the thing is, if we don't put them in now, they could be 8-0, no, but their best win would be Michigan State. So then what are we waiting for? And don't you want to talk about Mike, the thing with Michael Penix, Michael Penix two years ago in the pandemic year with Indiana, he was the engine that brought Indiana football to life. And people are saying, it's not that then he got hurt and he had a weird year last year and he transferred to Washington and Indiana's not, they they couldn't utilize him. It's not that Michael Penix is getting back to the Michael Penix of 2020. It's like, he's new. He's at a different level. Even when he was at a level where he lifted Indiana to being a top 15 national team, the, the Twitter peeps who are very difficult to persuade. I mean, they are just not open to a lot of stuff. They voted no on Washington. 61% no, 39% yes. So that means both you and I have to agree on Washington for Washington to join the mix. I'm there because if we're doing... Coach and quarterback, I think both are at the level. And then what I just explained with the conference, like what about it's like, okay, well now they're five. They beat Arizona State. Now they're five and oh. Now let's put them in. If we're going to do that,
1: let's just put them in now. They've played one power five team to this point. And, and Michigan State, again, for me, when I picked their their schedule preseason, I had them as potentially a seven and five team. Like I, I just don't know exactly how good Michigan State is so like I think for me I want to circle that game against UCLA if they can win those next two games and go on the road and beat UCLA on the road and I don't think UCLA is awesome either but like road environment uh, not not the best road environment if you've seen some of the pictures from the Rose Bowl this year but you know if if you can be five and oh I think that's enough for me to consider you I, I just we have one data point Like, we really have one total data point on Washington, and it's a really good one, but I think I want to wait.
0: I would say we have two data points. One is they beat Michigan State, and the other is we just made up a Kalen DeBoer T-shirt slogan. (laughs) So that would be the second data point for me. But if you want to hold back then we then we hold back. So that's a no on Washington. I got to say that's a surprising no to me because this would be like or Washington's what? Like I think like 19th in the polls, but again, pollsters don't know what they're doing. Like they're like you start talking talent base, coaching, path, conference schedule, good quality win, but we'll hold off so let's do the other team in the Pac-12. Let's do Oregon. Which the case here is Maybe everybody in the country would lose to Georgia 49-3, and Oregon just happened to be the one to, ha- to have to do it. And then they've won their two other games, including beating a team that we were in love with a week ago, pretty convincingly, and as we talked about to some degree on the Apple Show, Bo Nix put some Shahan quotes on his bulletin board and then went out and was good enough because he ran for three scores. I think he, he threw for two. It's not an explosive passing attack, but there is a base of talent there that Mario Cristobal left Dan Lanning. And I think Dan Lanning might be a pretty good head coach. And then all the other things fall into place. A lot of what we said about Washington, the PAC 12 might be good, but not too good. Could Oregon win the PAC 12? I don't know. I think maybe they could. I'll tell you what they're not going to do in the PAC 12, play a team as good as Georgia. So, do we wanna I I don't what I don't even do we wanna reward Georgia for beating BYU while also patting them on the back and saying it's okay. Lots of people would lose to Georgia 49 to three. It's not you, Oregon. It's them. It's not you. Do we wanna do that and put them in the playoff
1: discussion? Whew. Um it is very hard for me to imagine a team that lost 49 to three making the playoff.
0: But we're going to in like 20 minutes, we're going to explain why it might make sense in this one very rare circumstance. But go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: South Carolina scored seven on them. Like, (laughs) Like, you know, it's this 49 to three is disgusting stuff, like just just awful, awful, awful stuff. And I think that if you have that and I'm not saying it's insurmountable, right, like back in back in 2020, Uh, Texas A&M lost 52-24 to Alabama, and they legitimately entered the discussion at the end of the year because Alabama just kind of proved that they were that good, right? And that's a reasonable place for Oregon to end up. It's going to take more than one game for me to get there with them, right? Because, like, that's the thing. there's a reason they call it the Bo Nix experience. If he was just bad all the time, then like it wouldn't be an experience. There's sometimes the good that makes you think, oh, wow, he's figured it out. And then, you know what? They go on the road to Washington state this week and he'll probably throw three interceptions. Like it's just that that's what he does. That's what they do, you know? And so I need to see more from from Oregon. I I need to see more games. I need to see more consistent success because it really never was about what their ceiling is, it's about what they're going to be game to game. And so I like what I saw from them against BYU. I want to see it. Washington State, I think, is a pretty good uh, challenge for them, a pretty good opportunity to show something. Then they play – I mean, the thing with the Pac-12 is that, like you said, they they have four to five maybe pretty dang good teams. And then, like, the other half is just like – not even real football. Really. The bottom, <laughs>
0: the bottom of the Pac-12 is the Mountain West, or I mean, is that, I, that might yeah. be
1: generous. Well, maybe this year is Mountain West. Last year, the bottom of the Pac-12 could not compete with the Mountain West because Mountain West was pretty good. But like, they go Stanford at Arizona versus UCLA at Cal at Colorado. Like,
0: you better win all those games. You know what? We you know what we might get in mid-November? Eight 0
1: Washington versus eight one Oregon. That's possible. That would be great. That would be a lot of fun. And I I definitely think that's a a possibility. And, you know, so for me, play your way in, right? Play your way in. I I think that that's what Oregon has to do at this point. Uh, Again, we might look back at 49 to three against Georgia and say, wow, that's just a thing that happened. But I'm not erasing that result because of one game. I was trying to go
0: for the sympathize your way in way of doing things. Which is it almost maybe they would have been better off losing to Oregon eighty-one to three. Cause it then would have been it's not your fault, Oregon. But I like there I think there are teams currently in our playoff mix that I think also might lose to Georgia forty-nine to three. I'm not so sure Oklahoma wouldn't lose forty-nine to three to Georgia. I'm not sure so sure Clemson wouldn't lose forty-nine to three to Georgia. I think Michigan's pretty good. They kind of did lose 49 to three to Georgia in the playoff last year when they played Georgia. So I think that might be true. So that's, that's the tough spot here that I I was opening. I was open to almost forgetting that, right. That, that just like, you know, what doesn't count losing 49 to three to Georgia. It just doesn't count. It's just not fair. So I was, so if you take that away, if they had a bye week, and it's one of those things. It's how all this stuff works. Michigan's played nobody. If Oregon had played Colorado State in week one, like Michigan did, and Oregon was 3-0 and and just did that to BYU, I think right now we'd be putting them in. I think we would be. And if Michigan had lost by four touchdowns to Georgia, they wouldn't be in. So that's the risk of scheduling. I get it, which is why we have 12 data points for it to all work out. It doesn't mean Oregon's never going to be in. If they actually get to 8-1, and they probably will be in by then. So I get it. But I just love BYU so much. This is, I I guess, one, two more (laughs) minutes of talking about BYU. We talk about absorption a lot on this show, right? We had so much. We were leaking BYU juice last week. And so Oregon mopped them up. They, like, came in with the quicker, swiffer, picker-upper or whatever it is. And they mopped up all that BYU juice. I thought maybe – we would want to reward that absorption, but I guess we're not going to because, you know, who's not doing that as a Twitter followers. They aren't close on this. Eighty six point five percent. No, 13.5 <laughs> percent. Yes, I was I was more on Washington than I was on Oregon, but I was open to a yes. If you were open to it and you seem like you're not
1: not at this point, I again, they can play their way back in. They can. But. They have to play the way back in. Because the thing is, too, right? You mentioned the non conference thing. To make the playoff as a Pac 12 or Big 12 or ACC team, the path is going 12 and 1. You already got the one. Now you got to be perfect from here on out. That's the tough part. I hope
0: the people implementing the 12-team playoff are not listening to this show because we have nine teams and we are swatting aside potential <laughs> members 10 and 11 and 12. So let's get to the last team that we talked uh, – we put out the vote on this week, and that's Penn State. And Penn State did go on the road. The Big Ten does these – Do they do these weird openers where they take one of their marquee teams and they send them on a road on a Thursday night to a lower-tier team and say, hey – Let's have one of our marquee teams. I don't know, maybe go lose a weird game to start the season. And Penn State almost did, but they found a way against Purdue. I don't know how good Purdue is. They just lost to Syracuse, so I guess they're probably not very good.
1: Sy- Syracuse is balling. Don't don't uh, don't hate on Syracuse,
0: man. They're three and zero. Now I'm feeling good about Penn State because we just transitive propertyed <laughs> Syracuse. to Talk about juice absorption. Syracuse to Purdue to Penn State. So they have a Purdue win, they have a home win against uh Ohio U, and then they went on the road last week and they beat Auburn. You know, I don't know. Does anyone think Auburn's good? Does anyone think Brian Harson's good? No. It's a little better than beating Vanderbilt. But it is a road win. They have two Power 5 road wins in 3 games as a as a top 15 program. How many programs like that would even get in a situation where their schedule where they're playing two power five road games in their first three. Sean Clifford, who I after week one was calling thought he should be benched for the true freshman drew Aller. He is toughing it out, man. He is, he has a big brace on his leg and it looks like he limps when he runs and he is like trying to be Stetson Bennett of the North and being old Stetson Bennett, by the way, this is like new polished Gucci Stetson Bennett. Now I have to, I almost feel like they're two different people. So it's like old Stetson Bennett. No, what? new Stetson Bennett is Caleb Williams of the South. So I just need to chill on that. They have a good defense. They have some good young running backs. They have real receivers, Parker Washington, Michael Tinsley, a transfer. Um, they have their offensive line. They have a left tackle that's really emerged, kind of out of nowhere. That's already getting some NFL talk. I uh, think this five star running back, Nicholas Singleton, broke some stuff last week that that made you. I always say I, I can still remember watching Saquon Barkley as a freshman and being like, "Who is that?" That was not that, but I had a little bit of a ooh watching that so they have some playmakers their defense is always good their problem last year was no running backs no offensive line I think both those things are improved three and oh I can see it I can see it because I do give a little respect for two power five road wins
1: yeah I I think that I think that one thing that we've learned early this season is that playing on the road sucks (laughs) like it's Mm. really really hard especially against good opponents now I don't think Purdue or Auburn are Especially good opponents, but like to go twice on the road in the first three games, not have any sort of lead into the season, you know, surviving Purdue's fine to me. Like, Purdue's pretty good. I I don't know if they're going to be great, but they're pretty good. Uh, You know, Auburn, I don't think is good. But like you made them look not good. This was one of the worst home losses in recent Auburn memory, right? Every every stat right now, every metric right now is this is the worst since 2012, because 2012 was the year that they went three and nine and were a total disaster and fired their coach, right? Like and Penn State made it look like that. Like Penn State, I think, closed the door on Brian Harson in a lot of ways. And like you said. You know, for me coming into the year, I felt like defensively they have enough of a track record that I trust it, that I feel like, you know what, you're good. Like, I'm just going to assume that some of these things work. And so far, so good. Uh, again, uh, some some shaky moments against Purdue, but but I think that they survived it fine. The fact that they can run the ball at a high level uh, with these two great uh, freshman running backs, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, these guys are pretty incredible like these guys are pretty special running backs uh you know i i tend to feel like running backs themselves are sometimes a little well i mean not even overvalued i think people understand their value at this point right like a running back can't make a run offense most of the time but these guys seem like they're the type of running backs who maybe can kind of make a run offense just with the amount of talent that they have so i like what i've seen so far i I think that they've showed me the things that i felt like i needed to see uh, to feel like Penn State can kind of move up. And and I had Penn State as a team uh, that I felt like was the most un- one of the most undervalued teams in terms of the preseason rankings. Uh, you know, I, I had them uh, well within my top 20 coming into the year. I, I did not understand why people were kind of just so dismissive of them. They finished seven and six last year, but the basically every single loss came after Sean Clifford got hurt. And now now they have an insurance policy in Drew Aller, who's already showed some really nice stuff early in his career, and they have a running game. And I don't know exactly how much to trust that the offensive line is fixed. I, I think that some of that is just Auburn issues, but it's better. It's not as bad as it was last year. So to me, the factors are adding up and Michigan State falling kind of falling to the wayside, maybe against Washington. I, you know, that's something I felt like had a chance to happen. You know, that's a winnable game. Now I I think that you get Ohio state at home. That's an interesting game. And then you go on the road to Michigan and and that's going to probably be one of the biggest games of the year for Penn state. So like the path is there, honestly, you know, not, not to draw too much of a comparison, but like the big 10 has a little of that pac 12 to it where like the top is awesome. And like, yeah, you look at the rest of their Big Ten slate versus Northwestern. Northwestern's a disaster right now versus Minnesota. That'll actually be a pretty good game at Indiana. And, eh, you know, they're three and right now. I don't know if that's going to hold They're bad. They're yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah. Versus Maryland, uh, you know, usually Maryland kind of fades by the end of the year. And I kind of expect that to happen. And then at Rutgers. So like not a super difficult slate outside of those main games. So. It'll be interesting. I, I think that they definitely have a path. They can obviously withstand a loss. I don't think that there's a question about that. Uh, I'm going to have that game against Ohio State circled on October 29th. That's the game of the year for them. Uh, you know, if they can find any sort of way to pull it off, then like they're in, right? Like they're in. So I, I think that it's going to be interesting. It's going to be difficult, but but I think that Penn State belongs in this conversation. So
0: Nicholas Singleton, five-star freshman, he's had 10 carries in each of the first three games. Went from 31 yards against Purdue to 179 against Ohio and 124 against Auburn. They they can be at time. Listen, it's at it their best. Penn State does have explosive guys, right? Chris Godwin and Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders. And last year they had it with Jahan Dotson. They just didn't have it in the run game. At all. And sometimes, if you just have one receiver, you can take away one receiver. They have two or three receivers. They have a tight end, Um, Brenton Strains, that they're throwing to a lot nine catches, 169, multiple running backs. And I have to give Sean Clifford credit because I thought he maybe put a ceiling on this offense. But you give him the right kind of throws. He can move around. He fights like crazy. And if he has enough playmakers and you pair it with this defense, This game against Michigan in mid-October is going to be huge. It is... um a potential showdown of what what could be very well top 10 teams by then. They do have two easy ones with Central Michigan and Northwestern below that. I think it's even possible because, again, there have been enough people, and Penn State, by the way, a bye week before that Michigan game, which will be helpful to them. There are enough people who are theorizing about 11-0, 11-0, Ohio State and Michigan by the end of the year. Could both of them make the playoff? I think depending how it goes, if Penn State looks awesome and it gets crazy elsewhere and they play a close game with Ohio State at home and they beat Michigan and they're 11 and one, maybe they back in as they didn't even make the Big Ten championship game, but they're the fourth team. So I don't think it's an absolute Ohio State roadblock, but that's down the line anyway. It's right now. Do they deserve it? And I think they do. I think they're legit in a lot of ways. And the if the offensive line is kind of figured out at all. It has been such a problem. But as you said, their biggest issues last year were after Sean Clifford got hurt and they didn't have a a second quarterback. They do have that second quarterback now. So this is all three of us in agreement, Shahan, which is rare on this show because the tweeters actually were open to this. 63% yes on Penn State, 36.9% no. So this is a yes from them, a yes from you, and a yes from me that takes us back to 10 playoff contenders by adding Penn state and kicking out BYU. Do we feel good about where we are?
1: I do. I do. Uh, you know, I, I think that maybe the, the Twitter voters really love the fact that Penn state already has a win over an Ohio Ohio university, a, a state university in Ohio. But uh, no, but I do think that one thing that's going to come into play too is Auburn. I, I don't think it's going to be great, but I mean, compare a road win over Auburn in dominant fashion to what Michigan's done so far, right? Like, I think that they buy themselves even a little bit more credibility from that perspective by going and playing a non-conference game like that and to have the road schedule that they do. So, you know, if if you are one of those people who thinks that Michigan at 11-1 and should be in the conversation, absolutely Penn State should be in that similar type of conversation.
0: It's funny. You can hear the playoff committee chairman on the show explaining why why do you have penn state maybe higher than some people think it's like well we we view that auburn victory as a quality road win against a quality opponent right the funny thing is michigan's played nobody james franklin after going to auburn and winning basically said i never want to do this again and their non-conference in the future doesn't have games like that he said our non-conference should be a way for us to get three wins is, is basically what he said. He doesn't want any part of this as we sit here and say, you know what? Auburn's not that great, but this is still a really quality separating win. And James Franklin, uh, it's too much. It's not worth it, right? Because if they had gone and lost, it'd be like, oh, uh. so I do think sometimes the way the committee votes again, like Oregon went and played a great non-conference game. Where did they get them? So I do think and I think I think the committee is sometimes we like a good schedule. We respect quality non-conference wins. I think the loss is so punitive sometimes that we, no one's dinging Michigan. Michigan played nobody. Nobody's dinging them. Speak for yourself. I, I definitely will ding Michigan whenever the time comes. But like at the moment, we're going to do our rankings later. And like we're going to have Michigan in the top five in the country for beating nobody so i just i like i sort of i wish and again maybe in a 12 team people will think like that less but i love who didn't love penn state auburn turns out the penn state coach who won the game didn't love it so penn state's in that gives us 10 teams that means when we come back at the end of the show we're going to rank those teams right we're going to do all the ranking but at the moment we're going to take a little break and when we return we're going to talk about How good is Georgia exactly? Because they deserve a long discussion next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, we are back and we did a little tease on this earlier. And one of the things you said about Georgia was it's the offensive side of the ball that is so interesting right now. How many quarterbacks and listen, they make Stetson Bennett look great, but he broke somebody's ankles on a quarterback keeper in that game. He juked a guy in the open field. He outran two guys and, and stretched for the pylon and didn't quite get it to set up another touchdown. He is very good floating and throwing on the run. And they just have a gazillion Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield, Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington at tight end. They have a gazillion easy throws for this guy. But last year at times, Shahan, when they put more on Stetson Bennett and you could be like, okay, there's a 20 yard pass over the middle. Well, that's not going to go well. It doesn't feel like that right now because they are putting him in the right circumstances. The Lad McConkey playmaker experience is unbelievable. Like, they absolutely have enough dudes. A lot of it is easy and underneath. But right now, how if to win a national championship, I'm building good team X and I need a quarterback. How many quarterbacks would you take ahead of Stetson Bennett right now? I don't know that it's more than three. It's definitely three. But is it more than three? Because the three are C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Caleb Williams, but who else would you take? J.J. McCarthy from Michigan, maybe? No, no I would. I would. No,
1: consider. okay, you wouldn't. Okay, Dylan Gabriel, you taking Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma? Probably no. not. I okay. I, I think the thing that's interesting that the three are in a tier above Setson and Bennett. Like there were, there's no way I'm considering and any of those three guys. And then there's like a lot of guys who are in the same range, you know, like like I would. I, Would I rather have Drake May from North Carolina or would I rather have Stetson Bennett? I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's pretty close. I feel like Dylan Gabriel's pretty close. KJ Jefferson is like pretty close. So like, but he's like legitimately in the second tier, which is kind of crazy based off of what we saw last year. And I think that's very serious. So do you think he's going to win the Heisman? Listen,
0: (laughs) he is, I can't get over it. His stats. Are great. And when you look at it, here's the thing I wanted to keep talking about this Georgia offense. And when you talk about the Georgia offense, you have to talk Stetson Bennett, but we also have to talk about that other guy who is just a monster. So last year, uh, by the F plus ratings from Football Outsiders, which is kind of like college DVOA. Georgia was first in defense and third in offense. So even their offense last year was ranked pretty high. This year, they're first in defense and they're second in offense. And there's they're sort of a threshold with that rating that anything over 2.0, over two is really good. The only three individual units in the country right now that are over two, the Ohio State offense is number one, the Georgia defense is number two, and the Georgia offense is number three. That is the thing about this that, they, the, the running backs, right? Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton filling in for Zamir White and James Cook, who went to the NFL. It's the exact kind of, of duo, and they get it done. Like, they are absolutely good enough. They are a national championship caliber backfield. Maybe not lead it. It's not Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, but absolutely good enough. Lad McConkey is a playmaker. And then they have a bunch of outside guys, Kiaris Jackson, AD Mitchell, a lot of the guys we saw last year, right? They're all there. And then Darnell Washington, again, might be like the fourth best tight end in the country, but he's the second best tight end on his own team because Brock Bowers is as good of a skill position guy as anybody in the country. He scored three touchdowns last week. One of them was on a reverse. One of them was on a seam route down the middle for 78 yards. And one of them, I think, was on a little flip where he like beat three guys. He is an he's not he's not a tight end. He is an un. He's closer to Justin Jefferson than he is a tight end. They get him the ball in so many different ways. He is a devastating weapon. There's a re- there's like a recruiting analytics web- uh, Twitter account that I follow that tries to rate like the, the guys who hit the fastest speed on the field last week. Brock Bowers was in the top five because when he ran down the seam for 78 yards, he got up going pretty. He's a tight end. So they have all these weapons. And then Stetson Bennett is bing, bang, boom, man. He makes every throw, but he is slippery. And I want to talk about the guy calling the plays. But the offensive talent feels like they don't have any issues on the offensive line. They're fine. This is is a a truly talented offense led by a dude who knows what he's doing and has a ton of confidence.
1: I think the thing that impresses me the most is that... You know, last year, I think that Georgia was really, really good at playing situational football, right? Like when they were on schedule, when they got stops, when they had good field position, they converted it. But one thing I want I, I to take your attention to is that Oregon game, right? So they, they score on their first seven drives. They score touchdowns on their first seven drives. Here are those drives. 12 plays, 85 yards seven plays 92 yards, six plays 56 yards. So that was off an interception, eight plays 75 yards, right? Length of the field, six plays 64 yards, nine plays 75 yards, nine plays 89 yards. So they're not just taking advantage of what their defense is giving them. They are creating opportunities for themselves. And I think that there is a fundamental difference between those two types of offenses. So like you said, Georgia last year was a very efficient offense, but they were an efficient offense because they were put in a lot of good situations. This Georgia team is creating good situations for themselves. They're putting together extended drives. They have the ability to be explosive in the passing game, which is not something that I think a lot of us expected. The funny thing about it is that they kind of like don't run the ball all that much, but it's because they have so much success in the passing game. and And they throw to the backs. They throw to the backs. Yep. Right, they create opportunities that way. The funny thing about it is that we've talked before about the fact that the Heisman is a narrative award, and it should be. It, it is the a narrative of a season. It's, it's not trying to just say this is the best player in college football. Guess what? We have the NFL draft for that too. Like, there's plenty of opportunities to to select who the best players in college football are. Which, by the way, Brock Bowers probably should be in that conversation. But like, from a pure narrative perspective. It's going to be hard to keep Stetson Bennett's name out of this discussion. I know! I know! Not only has he been really good, they are running everything through him. It's not you know, sort of like... Last year, he was the guy getting carried along for the ride. This year, it's like Todd Monken, who's that name that we're going to talk about in a second, that offensive coordinator. It's like Todd Monken came in and said... You know, it'd be crazy. Obviously we're the best team in the country. What if we did it in a way so that Stetson Bennett won the, the Heisman trophy and was kind of undeniable because right now through three games, 952 yards passing, 74% completion, 10.8 yards per pass attempt is unbelievable. Five passing touchdowns, no interceptions, by the way. And he's also had a rushing touchdown in every single game. So like and apparently he is the second quarterback to ever have I think it's multiple passing touchdowns or a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown, whatever it was to his first three games. And the only other guy to do it is Patrick Mahomes. Like they are trying they are trying to make this happen, right? Like it really, really feels like it. And I'm not about contrive, whatever, but like the story of the season so far in all of college football, beyond the shadow of a doubt in my mind has been Stetson Bennett.
0: Yeah. Now, listen, if CJ Stroud or Bryce Young has that kind of year, or Caleb Williams, I guess, then they're going to win, right? If if their team is undefeated number one, and they're the reason, they're going to win. If, if those guys aren't that, if there's a crack, Stetson Bennett's waiting at the door. And I don't know how dissimilar this is for Mac Jones and Alabama in 2020. You put a guy who can run the offense at the heart of, of a good scheme surrounded by playmakers, and he is surrounded by playmakers now. Brock Bowers is not gonna win this year, the Heisman. Let's have a full-throated tight end winning the Heisman conversation because he's not a tight end. They run reverses for him, they run jet sweeps for him. He's not really a tight end. He's Kyle Pitts, right? And what's kind of like he's he's just a big receiver. So he is that kind of guy. He's not gonna win this year. But Stetson Bennett as being emblematic of something, but he really is a lot better. And and it's not just statistical. You can just see his control, his completion percentage is up like 9%. It was 64.5 last year. It's 73.9 right now, again, averaging well over 300 passing yards per game. It's legit. And Bowers, they do a great job. This is one of those things, again, it's, it's kind of a back and forth. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba for Ohio State was back last week, but they didn't use him much, and he felt like more like a decoy than anything else, and he opened up other stuff. Brock Bowers is by far their best offensive weapon, and they get him the ball. They find a way to get him the ball. Now, Ohio State will get Jackson Smith and with the ball too. But, like, you can't stop that because they're so creative because Todd Monkin, the offensive coordinator, who is now in year three at Georgia, I think we would have to call him one of the best – college football hires of the last decade. Is that right? He got a raise this year from $1.25 million to $2 million. He's He's kind of one of the rare guys in the $2 million assistant club right now because kind of all the other guys in it got head coaching jobs from last year. But he has elevated this offense, and he's it's just a crazy path. He was – and again, people know I'm I'm in here in Ohio, he was with the Cleveland Browns in 2019 in what was an absolute mess of a season when he was the offensive coordinator for Freddie Kitchens and a staff that got fired after one year. And then it's like, oh, what are you going to do now? He's the former head coach at Southern Miss. He's been in the NFL. He left being the head coach at Southern Miss after a nine-win season in his third year to go be the offensive coordinator for Tampa Bay because Dirk Cutter was his friend and was the head coach. And after three years, they all got whacked And he's like, okay, I guess whatever. I'm this former college head coach. I guess I'll try to go to the Browns. And now he's the offensive coordinator at the best program in the country. And he is fundamental because he's dialing stuff up that like, I don't know how many other people are running tight end double reverses to get their guy the ball. He's really good. I don't like paying assistant coaches because I think a lot of them are the same. This guy's a difference maker, man. He's in year three. And I will say this. Again, just Ohio State as a reference point for me a lot. 2014, Ohio State wins the national championship. Tom Herman, the offensive coordinator, leaves after that season to be the head coach at Houston. They have almost all the same players back in 2015, but they have new people running the offense, and it's a real problem. There was a lot of speculation after last year that Todd Monken might leave. That's why he's making $2 million right now. But getting Todd Monken to stay with the same quarterback, with the same devastating tight end, was an, and we all knew it, was an absolutely crucial move for Georgia this offseason. And we're seeing the fruits of that right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, again, you you always mention that you think that uh, coordinators are just middle managers and then go on to talk about how losing coordinators fundamentally shifted programs. but average guys too many everybody thinks everybody is special i'm here for the special
0: people but everybody thinks everybody is special not everybody's special a lot of guys are replaceable a lot of
1: guys are but i acknowledge when guys aren't yeah i, I think that that's more about the quality of the hires that you make but you, you know i think that you look back at todd Monkin's career uh you know kind of really cut his teeth uh in some ways under Mike Gundy uh, at Oklahoma state, that's kind of probably where he was most well known was obviously being the, the offensive coordinator for those Brandon Whedon teams that the one in 2011 that, uh, that should have probably played in the national championship game. And so I, I wasn't quite sure what to expect when he came to Georgia, you thought that maybe he was going to try to add some dynamic spread passing stuff. And he did a little bit, but really he's just kind of, looked at what they have and said let's make it work and that is a very underrated thing in college football is to understand the talent that you have and how to put them in good situations football football doesn't have to be hard right like you can just put your guys in good situations and and I think that Todd Monkin has done an incredible job of doing that I expect that uh, that especially if Georgia wins another title this year he's going to be a very hot head coaching candidate and uh, and I think he deserves a lot of credit, you know, because again, it, it feels like like Todd Monkin sat down and said, "We didn't really have a Heisman Trophy contender last year, did we?" I, I'd like to win that. I'd like to win the Heisman Trophy. What, what if this guy won it? And now, just because they're choosing to do it, he might win it.
0: And that might be a way to keep Todd Monken in 2023, because if they repeat as national champs and his quarterback wins the Heisman, and then it could be like. Has a tight end ever won the Heisman? Let's try that. (laughs) That sounds like fun. Yeah. Let's see if we can have Brock Bowers score, I don't know, 25 touchdowns, just because I think he's probably talented enough to do it. He is a devastating weapon. So they have all the pieces on offense. But guess what? They also have the pieces on defense, and I want to make sure we're crediting Georgia for the right things here. On PFF, looking at their snap counts defensively, I took the the guys, the top 15 guys in snap counts on this Georgia defense right now. I think often my rule of thumb for teams is like your third year guys got to win your national titles, right? Because the best guys are gone by year four. So it's that third year class. You recruit a bunch of top 100 national players. And in their third year, you go. The 15 guys for Georgia here. Here's where they are. In their class, by how many years of college football they played, these 15 guys, they have one sixth year player, they have one fifth year player, they have three fourth year players, they have three third year players, they have four second year players, and they have three true freshmen who are absolutely contributing to this defense. It is not a peak. It is everywhere, and of those 15 guys, Shahan, do you want to guess how many of them are top 100 national recruits of the top 15 guys playing snaps on defense? Twelve? Only seven. Oh, wow. And I know that, like, an only, like, for for every program in the country, like, other than Alabama and Ohio State, and only in front of half of our defensive players or top 100 recruits, that's a crazy only. But it's not 12, it's seven, and they do develop some other guys, right? Nazir Stackhouse is a third-year defensive tackle who was number 249 in the country. Tyke Smith is playing in the defensive backfield. He was 526. Dan Jackson, who's an important safety for them, is a former walk-on, right? Chris Smith, who's a fifth-year safety, 306 in the country. So, But they have this depth and breadth. Their back end is playing really well right now. But part of it is they have three true freshmen who watched this team on TV win a national title last year. But these guys are all legit. Malachi Starks at safety, number 19 overall recruit in the country. He's already made a couple huge picks. You, that showed up right away at Oregon. It's like, who is that guy? Dale and Everett, corner. Number 28 overall player in the country. And Michael Williams, an edge guy who was the number four overall player in the country, and is like, OK, that's going to be a real thing. And then
1: Smail Mondan, I think I'm saying his name right, second year linebacker. I, I've never heard that. I, I was just reading that name. I've never seen that name in my life. That is quite a name.
0: He was the number 35 overall player in the class uh, of 2021. So he's a second-year guy at linebacker who's making plays all over the field. They do have these first – they have seven first- and second-year guys, none of whom who did much last year, who were absolutely ready to slide in behind all the guys who left for the NFL. And then you have these third-year guys, Jalen Carter, at the heart of it. But again, guess what? Not playing that many snaps, just like Jordan Davis last year. They're saving him. They let him – be there at peak moments. He's like 14th on the team in defensive snaps. Keeley Ringo was the number four overall recruit in the country. He has a third-year guy at corner. It's it's deep, it's wide, and it looks pretty much the same. But I thought last year, you know, the key with, with George is a front seven was so good, you got to throw over him. And then the way Ringo was playing by the end of the year and some of the other guys, um, Lewis Seen at safety was playing really well, right? But I don't think I, it feels like their their back end has really locked it up this year. They're not getting after the passer, I think, quite to the same level as they were a year ago. But if their back end's better and the other guys are still really good, it is not much of a huge drop off. And by the end of the year, Michael Williams and Smael Mondan and Malachi Starks and some of these young guys are going to be known as some of the best defensive players in the country. And they have a bunch of veterans with them helping lead the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think Malachi Starks he has just been incredible so far. Like, I know that whenever you're a top five player in the country and you're a defender and you're going to play at Georgia, it's probably going to work. But right now, he is the third highest rated defender on their entire team, and he leads the team in snaps played uh, per PFF. Like he has been unbelievable so far, just a total, total difference maker. And like you said, they've lost NFL players (laughs) on the back end, like legit, legit NFL guys. And they're probably better. Uh, Obviously, Christopher Smith coming back, you kind of felt like uh, like he'd have a chance to have a special season. Uh, You know, he's he's sort of a borderline NFL guy, but he's a fantastic college football player. Uh, I, I think you're right. This is a team that is less built from the front back. And it's a little bit more built from the back front. And in some ways, I think that makes them even more dangerous in some ways. Like, because you can't go over the top of them whatsoever.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think you can. Uh, It is, is this the new paradigm? Because we just, they're playing, they're playing seven really important guys on defense who are all going to be back next year, who have to be back because they're first or second year guys. Stetson Bennett eventually is going to leave. I don't know. Is it was it John Beck, right? Is that the who's the Beck quarterback who's the backup at Georgia? He Carson was in there. Sorry, Carson Beck. John Beck was at BYU like 10 years ago. Carson Beck was in there throwing dimes at the end of the game against South Carolina, right? They're gonna have whether it's him or Brock Vandergriff, they're gonna have a real quarterback whenever Stetson Bennett leaves. They always recruit running backs. I don't know if they're gonna find another Brock Bowers, but if you're an athletic tight end, why wouldn't you want to go to Georgia right now? Is this a new paradigm? Are they are they the new Bama? Like, I like it, it doesn't feel that's no disrespect to Bama, but we just watched Bama in, in week two have a little trouble. and And Bama is patching holes in the transfer portal. And Georgia is putting out a defense that's like, oh, we lost all those NFL guys. Oh, no problem. We have seven first and second year guys who are ready to roll. And a bunch of veteran guys who stuck around still ready to do their thing. Is Georgia the new standard in college football?
1: I mean, it's hard to argue. I, I think that this is what Bama did for so many years. And and by the way, Bama's kind of struggling to do what Bama's done the past couple of years, right? I mean, they're not just filling in roles. They're not just being turnkey, right? We're seeing that at receiver in a big way. Uh, we're seeing that on the offensive line. You know, it's not just kind of chugging along like it has the past couple of years. So I definitely think that they are, in some ways, early Saban Bama. Right, where they just kinda keep replacing guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, offensively, they are as dynamic as they need to be and not too much more than that. Right. So I don't know. I I mean, it feels like yes, at this moment, right now, they are kind of the new Bama. Now, the thing about Bama is that they did it for a decade. So this is just the start, but this is what it looked like. It is what it looked like. And right. We're not It's taking
0: nothing away from Bama. But if the Bama thing is not at its peak anymore, and what is Bama's non-peak? Bama's non-peak is making the national title game in a rebuilding year, right? That's like, oh, I don't know. Is Bama losing it? Listen, and they they
1: were- Maybe winning if their receivers don't get hurt.
0: (laughs) And two years ago, they had the best Saban team ever. So,
1: like, they have like, oh, I think
0: Bama lost it. It's like, okay, that's not what we're saying. This is a nod. I don't know. Maybe Bama's exactly where Bama's always been, and Georgia just passed them. Maybe Georgia. Maybe Bama hasn't fallen back at
1: all. I, I don't know. I, I I watched that Texas game. I watched the Texas game. <laughs> I think they're struggling.
0: That's just Sark being Sark, man. Hey, man, I don't know. I don't know if Georgia wants a piece of Texas right now.
1: It's Nick Saban's about to bring in Jacob Coker as quarterbacks coach. He is tired of having a great quarterback who loses him games.
0: I, I definitely uh, I saw a tweet from somebody along the lines of the crazy thing about Cliff Kingsbury eventually getting fired is that he's going to be Alabama's offensive coordinator next year, (laughs) which I mean, it's just like, oh, I don't like you. So, um, so I, it's, it's, it's a nod to the, I have, I'm, I'm surprised. Like I, I just, it's so hard. They were so generational last year, but, and Michigan's done it at a much lower level, but credit to Michigan, you were a team fueled by defense. You lose a lot of great defensive playmakers. So what do you do? You raise the level of your offense, but then also replace your defensive playmakers to the level where there's not a huge drop off, right? But you keep the, you were actually, both Georgia and Michigan were less balanced a year ago because they were so defensive heavy. So now they're more balanced. I don't know if that means they're a better team. I actually think in Georgia's case, it might be. Michigan's is probably not. But a lot of credit for raising the level of your offense to compensate while also really doing a good job plugging the holes on the defense. So a ton of respect for what Georgia's has done. I did not anticipate it. It's always harder to repeat than it is to get there. The first time every coach says it, climbing the mountains, fun, stand on top of the mountain is a grind, but a, a ton of respect for what Georgia has done. So let's quickly get to our rankings where we now have 10 teams to rank this week. And we both agree. Georgia is one. Because we can't have this conversation and have Shikhan come in the back door and be like, you know who I'm really vibing with this week? Oklahoma. So you have Georgia one, as do I. Who do you have two? I
1: have Ohio State, still two.
0: As do I, which is what we had last week. I forgot what I had last week, so I'm trying to be uh, comprehensive and you know, consistent, but also I can't remember. Who do you have three?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll say it right now. I do not try to be comprehensive and consistent because I want to, uh, to rethink it every single week. And that's why right now at number three, I have USC. I do want to rethink, but I don't want to change it for no reason. So, so you have
0: USC three. I have USC four. I have Michigan three, but I don't have a strong feeling about it. I also really want to see Michigan against Maryland on Saturday. Where do you have Michigan?
1: I have Michigan actually pretty far down the board. Let me uh, one, two, I five, six I'm them at six right now.
0: Okay, understandable. They beat up another bad team last week. Maryland's going to be a challenge because we have to acknowledge Maryland won a pretty good game against SMU. Maryland's three and zero. They do have a good passing game that I respect. It'll be some test for the Michigan defense. It's at Michigan. Um, I don't know how good Maryland's defense is, but this is a real. It's one of those things like. You just if Michigan beats Maryland, that will be bif- different than beating UConn, Hawaii, and Colorado State.
1: I miscounted; they're number five. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm doing this on the fly. They're they're number five in my rankings. But yeah, ba- basically, what happened is because uh, because I'll say I have USC three, I have Oklahoma four. I have like a real data point for both those teams. Fresno State is a good team. Nebraska, not a great team, but Oklahoma went on the road and you know basically forty nine to Nebraska's three. Nebraska is awful. Nebraska's awful. They're awful, but the, but Oklahoma went on the road, and 49 to three them basically. So I, I think for me, I have something positive to point to with those two teams. And with Michigan right now, I just have nothing.
0: All right, so I have Michigan three USC four. You have Michigan five USC three. You have Oklahoma four. I have Oklahoma seven because Nebraska is a tire fire, and I, I, that does not mean that much to me to go do that. Who do you have six? I have
1: Alabama six.
0: I have Bama five and that's a little bit of a move up by Bama for me, even though Bryce Young threw two picks a bit against Louisiana Monroe. Um, they did basically do their thing. So I, I acknowledge that a bit as opposed to coming off again, they should have lost against Texas. Who do you have seven?
1: I have Clemson seven.
0: I have Clemson six. I think I moved Clemson down a spot. It's just still a little bit of a holding pattern there. Good defense, still not sure about the QBs. They sure as heck are not in a hurry to get to Cade Club, Nick. so I don't know. That was like a big early season storyline for me that doesn't seem like it's developing at all. So they're going to get tested here soon, and they're just kind of treading water right now. I, I don't know that we've really learned a lot like Michigan, although at least by Michigan picking J.J. McCarthy, we learned something. I don't know that we've learned anything about Clemson than what we thought in the preseason, which is like, I don't know about quarterback, but the defense is good. So I think they're kind of the same team. Who do you have eight?
1: I have Penn State entering the rankings at number eight.
0: I had Utah eight, but I maybe should have Penn State there. Who do you have nine? And then I have Baylor nine. Oh, and you have Utah 10? I do.
1: You were like all ready to bail on Baylor. I thought for sure you'd have Baylor last. No, no. I mean, I think that I think that Baylor and Utah are in very similar situations right now. Right? They they lost a really close game on the road. Uh, Utah was to Florida. Baylor was to BYU. Florida. I, I mean, this kind of has to do with my valuation of Florida. Florida looks like a pretty bad team right now. Lost to Kentucky. No shame in that. Should have lost to South Florida. A lot of shame in that. Uh, so so I think that that's I, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think that the quality of Utah's loss has only gone down um, and, and Baylor's, too, of course. But I still think that that BYU is a better team than Florida right now. And, you know, and, and then both of them beat pretty bad teams by four or five scores this week. So but, but you, you you have real questions about the Baylor
0: quarterback situation. And we both love Cam Rising at Utah.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think that my question with Utah now is just going to be, what is their ceiling? Can they can they get stops at the level they need to, right? Because cause watching watching what South Florida and what Kentucky was able to do against Anthony Richardson, who now goes from being like the, the the week one Heisman winner to like one of the worst quarterbacks in the SEC, that's concerning to me. The fact that Utah couldn't adjust to a running quarterback and realize that, hey man, like you just gotta set the edge. That's concerning to me. They go on the road to Arizona State this week. That doesn't mean anything to me. They play Oregon State on October 1st. That's going to be a meaningful game to me. If they look really good against Oregon State, that's going to help them out a lot. But I need to see more. I mean, frankly, I need to see a lot more from both Baylor and Utah at this point. All right, so that's our top 10.
0: We're at 10 teams again. We both had Georgia 1. We both have Ohio State 2. I don't know that many people in the country would disagree with that. Shahan has USC three. I have USC four. Shahan has Oklahoma four. I have Oklahoma seven. Shahan has Michigan five. I have Michigan three. Shahan has Bama at six. I have Bama at five. Shahan has Clemson at seven. I have Clemson at six. Shahan has Penn State at eight. I have Penn State at nine. Shahan has Baylor at nine. I have Baylor at 10. And Shahan has Utah at 10. I have Utah at eight. Those are our rankings. Not a ton affected those, which is why we didn't put as much energy into those this week. Cause we really wanted to talk about Georgia. We're into conference play now for everybody this week. So we're going to find out Ohio state, Wisconsin. We'll find out a little bit there. I just think we're going to, you know, start learning a little bit more. But like, for instance, we learned against Georgia last week against a South Carolina team that probably should be a bowl team. They're just steamrolling everybody, which is why we had the conversation that we did next week. On the Apple Podcast Show, $2.99 a month. You get four episodes for that. That's 75 cents an episode. We'll be talking about what, Shahan, because you're going to be a fancy guy.
1: Yeah, uh, I am going to be taking part in the mock selection committee over at the college football playoff. Uh, I'll get to see the the beauty of the Gaylord Hotel, which is a place I've been several times because I live like 15 minutes from it. But – who knows maybe they have like really nice uh you know ballrooms i i don't know i'm very curious to kind of get that set up and also i guess i'll learn something about how the college football playoff works and what their process is like and uh most importantly i'll get to rehash baylor getting left out of the 2014 college football playoff
0: yes that is the 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 playoff scenario—they relitigate every time with these mock committees. I did it several years ago, and we did 2014. I also stayed in a different Gaylord hotel property in Florida several years ago, and it was filled with dentists. So be careful. Be on the lookout for the dentists, and really, you know, some really smug, uh, highfalutin dentists. I'm not. I don't mean to paint all dentists, but it was a dentist. Dentists at a convention. Not my favorite. I'm not saying if you, if you are listening to this and you are a dentist, I have respect for you because I wouldn't want to be – I don't want to go to school and be that smart and then dig around in people's mouths. But maybe you as a dentist have been to a dental convention and you're nodding along and saying, uh, I know how dentists can be because I didn't <laughs>
1: love that. <laughs> I, I will say I, I feel like I'm prepared for that because my dad's a doctor. So like I, I feel like I get the edge of that world, although – like you said, they don't have to be digging around inside people's mouths necessarily. I feel like that's another level. Uh, Also, if there's a dental convention there, I'll be running away because Lord knows it's been a long time since I've been to the dentist.
0: No, no, I don't want to hear that. You don't go to the dentist every year. I just forget. No, 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 no. Shahan, I think of you as such a responsible young man. This is the absolute first thing that has punctured my view of that. (laughs) You got to go to the dentist. You got to get the fluoride treatment. You got to go to the dentist. What are you doing? You got, you're married. (laughs)
1: I know, I know. My my wife also hasn't been to the dentist forever. But uh, get your wife on the microphone. <laughs> she's not home. Um, so here's what I'll say. Okay, I went. Uh, I went. I had to get my wisdom teeth out. Right. So I went to the, this dentist. And, and the thing is, too, right. I've moved several times. Now I'm finally sort of in one place. But it came right as the pandemic came. So not an ideal time to go to dentists. Uh, but but I went and had to get my wisdom teeth out. I, I went. Did it. Uh, they figured out they were supposed to do all four of them at once. I, they did the top ones and figured out I had some sort of like cysts or something. So they charged me a thousand more than they quoted me for the whole procedure to do just the top ones. And I was just like. Y'all suck. Like I hate this place, and uh, and it was also a periodontist too. So like they didn't, they didn't. It wasn't like an oral surgeon to take out uh, my my wisdom teeth, which I kind of thought that they were because I didn't understand how any of this worked. So I haven't been back since then.
0: Wow. Well, that makes a little more sense. If we have any dentists listening who can help Shahan and maybe give him a good price, do you still have those two bottom wisdom teeth just I do. sitting there now?
1: They're still sitting there. Okay,
0: we got to get those out. We got to get those out. We got. Do
1: you floss? Yeah, I do floss. I do floss.
0: Okay. I guess if you floss, maybe you can get by a little bit longer. But just be, you don't want the gingivitis. You don't want the gum disease. Just be on top of this stuff. Do you brush? Do you get to the back corners of your mouth when yes, you brush? Yes, I do. I, I I
1: do all that stuff. Don't worry. Now I can't. No, I am worried now. <laughs> I I also growing up uh, growing up I had terrible teeth like I had like like whenever I went to the orthodontist they needed like an expander they needed like it was a lot it was a lot of stuff going on so like I've always had kind of bad teeth so I've always had bad experiences at the dentist so I've never been in a rush to go
0: okay so next week on the apple show We'll talk about Shahan's experience at the playoff mock committee, and we also will make him get a dental appointment. Maybe we'll, ha- we'll call a dentist <laughs> during the show and set up an appointment for you. That would be good podcasting. <laughs> All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Make sure you guys are reading Shahan at CBSSports.com. Get subscribed to the College Football Survivor Show, wherever you find podcasts. And if you like this free show, maybe think about $299. Uh, I could do $299. Try a month of the bonus episodes. See what you think. They come out on Tuesdays. For now, for Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Douglas Maurice. And that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.